Hello, I'm Sierra. And I'm Mina. And you're listening to The Third Eye Sears. As promised, we come to you today with the history of modern day birth control, birthed in yeah. our one of one of our homelands. One of ours, yes. Yeah, Puerto Rico. So comment before. I just want to say, give um, some compassion and just a second for the women who were in the trials mm-hmm. and all that they had to endure. So let's just have like two seconds of complete silence. And just like a, a moment of for them, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Okay. So, uh, this is gonna get dark. <laughs> this is gonna get. Warned. This is gonna be a, a rough and bumpy road. So, um, let's get into let's it. Let's do it. All right. So I'll start. I love how I was like, yes script i know what to say now (laughs) (laughs) so in 1898 puerto rico became a prize along with cuba and the philippines for the u.s after the spanish-american war unlike cuba and the philippines puerto rico was never released and became a u.s territory and in 1901 the first governor of puerto rico insisted that there were way too many laborers on the island with poor living conditions initiating what would become a lasting fear of overpopulation and making Puerto Rico a target for coercive and forced sterilization and contraception. May I just add first that this governor was such a racist pig. He looked around the island and was like, oh, these brown and black people are not quote-unquote fit for Puerto Rico. But you're going to hear that word a lot. Fit. It seems to be what was the main word that they like to use in things like eugenics, which we will get into. But it basically, if, if someone wasn't fit enough to someone's liking, it basically meant they weren't rich or white enough. Yes, yes. This has nothing to do with body type. This has all to do with social, economic class, mm-hmm. and, and skin race. color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1937, contraception was legalized in Puerto Rico. It encouraged physicians to coerce women into receiving certain contraceptives and even sterilization based on their physical, mental, or socioeconomic status. The governor stated that this was going to be the solution to overpopulation and poverty on the island. And not only were physicians, you know, like meant to coerce these women into getting sterilization was the main one that was pushed let's be real here um it was in textbooks it was told to children it was in psa announcements it was very much the same mindset that you know like the millennial generation they were told if you want to succeed you need to go to college well in puerto rico at this time and like for decades after they were told if you want to succeed then you have to get sterilized because kids means poverty and you don't want to have kids because that means you're going to have be poor and this is kind of where um everything 
starts, really. This is really the, the basis, too, of um, why Puerto Rico was chosen for these tests. It was the basis of the beliefs of the people who decided to do these birth control trials mm -hmm. and the government itself of Puerto Rico as well, like you just said. Between 1937 and 1939, the Maternal and Child Health Association, which was a network of clinics throughout the island, introduced different forms of birth control in Puerto Rico. But because of the racist and classist rhetoric that had accompanied fears of overpopulation from the beginning, these contraceptives were targeted disproportionately to women who were less educated and low socioeconomic status. And a lot of these clinics were purposefully put in neighborhoods that were black or brown neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods because those were the neighborhoods they wanted to target. Because in their mind, well, first off, in their mind, black or brown equals poor, A, which unfortunately for that time, for the most part, was true simply because of the way that society was set up. Not to say that there weren't successful black or brown people. It was just extremely hard and the system was set up and is still set up against people of color. Mm -hmm. And so these clinics were placed there because, again, in their mind, overpopulation equals poverty and they're trying to get rid of poverty here. And while this all seems like they're, they have well intentions, Let's just, by the end of this episode, <laughs> you'll see it, it was definitely racially motivated. Oh yeah, for sure. So by the age of 55 in Puerto Rico at this time, the average mother had given birth to about seven children. On average. I mean, just take a moment and think you're 55 and you have about 10 to, or let's say seven to 12 children. Right. Already. By 55. Yeah. Yeah, my, um, so my grandma, I'm Puerto Rican, my grandma, she had eight children. Her mother had 14 children. She had so many children, she could not take care of them all. By the time that she was having the younger ones, the older ones were taking in some of the younger ones because she just couldn't do it anymore. Not to say that she didn't want to. She was a very, as far as I've been told, she was a very caring woman. She just had so many children that it was burdensome. Yeah. So Which, wild. again, like, if we go back to the whole overpopulation equals poverty thing, you know, I can, I can see theoretically how they arrived to this. You know what I mean? Because it is harder to be successful in life if you have the burden of seven children, let alone eight, let alone 14, I literally could not imagine. I mean, my grandma, I don't even know how she survived giving birth to 14 children. My vagina hurts just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, just over 8% of married women in Puerto Rico under the age of 50 volunteered to be sterilized because they were being, these physicians were coercing them into basically saying, Look at your mother. Look at your grandmother. Right. Look at your sisters. Look at, at how horrible their lives look, are because they have children. Yes. They're so unhappy. And the only way that you're going to find happiness is if you don't have children. And it's not even just the physicians that were saying this. It was the entire culture being pushed from the government saying, you will not succeed if you have children. So birth control didn't start in the States until the 1950s. And we have Margaret Singer to thank for that. 
So I'm going to turn it over to Mina, who's going to get a little more into detail about who Margaret Sanger was. So Margaret Sanger, uh, I don't know when she was born, but I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> Low-key my feelings about her, her uh, being shown already. In 1914, a movement started, and their motive was to put women in control of their own bodies, which, amazing. Super, amazing. super duper here for that. Uh, birth control became a hot topic, obviously, and it was preached that if birth control was a thing, then poverty would go down and create equality between men and women, which, I don't know about all that. There's a lot more <laughs> that needs to be done than just birth control. I think if we, as we've all seen, because birth control is a thing and there's still not equality, but, and there's still poverty too. So Margaret Sanger is uh, where all of this began. She was a nurse turned woman activist who popularized the term birth control in her newspaper called The Women Rebel. And when World War I happened, all of these soldiers came back from war and they had all of these STDs. So what the army did is they said, well, we need to educate you guys on how not to bring the shit back to the US. <laughs> so they started doing sex education for the soldiers. Now. Margaret Sanger looked at that and she was like, well, what the fuck? What about women? We need to be educated about this stuff too. So she decided, I'm gonna step up to the plate. So when you Google Margaret Sanger, one of the things that she's known for is sex education. And she became the face of birth control in almost a saint-like status. So a lot of people look at her and thank her so much for the strides that she did for women and birth control and sexual empowerment and things like that because let's be real here did she help with all of that stuff 1000 percent. but as we get more into this i will preface it with the fact that i feel like she was doing this only for white women she didn't care about black or brown women and it's kind of like that toxic <laughs> positivity sounds like you know what i mean of saying this message of like, ah, oh, yes, women equality, but it only being classified or into one group mm -hmm. and not actually being equal. Well, and I everyone. feel like it's the same sick rhetoric that we've had for decades when it comes to feminism is that feminism has a history of being racist as fuck. I mean, even when we go back to the suffrage movement, they weren't fighting for the right for people of color, women of color to vote. They were fighting for the right of white women to vote. They didn't care about people of color. And I feel like we give so much credit to these white women because granted, they did have the power to do so much because they were white, let's be real. And they did honestly push society forward in a better way, but they did it by sacrificing women of color. And that's that's what we see here in these yeah. trials in Puerto Rico. I do just want to say before you get more into um, into Margaret. Mm -hmm. So she had opened the nation's first birth control clinic in 1916, but only had access to condoms and cervical caps. And I wanted to share what these cervical caps were. I've literally never heard of these before. They were usually ineffective, impractical, and difficult to obtain. So these things, they fit over the cervix and blocks the sperm from entering the uterus through the external orifice, orifice of the uterus. And it looked like a baby bottle cap, like a 
plastic. Kind of like what a female condom is now, but like way worse. Yes. Way, way worse. That sounds super uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It it was just very uncomfortable. It's and like, what's the point? Why am I going to have sex yes. if it's not going to be enjoyable? Yeah. Yeah. Just had to, because when I, I was like, what are cervical caps? And I was like, oh my God, never even heard of this. Can't believe that they had this and thought that, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this will work. This will work. Who cares if it's we'll create woman? we'll create male condoms so that they can't feel anything. But women condoms, who gives a shit? As long who as it cares? stops the sperm. So she mainly focused on minority communities and poverty because it was her belief that overpopulation had a direct impact on poverty. The same thing that we've been saying for the past ten minutes. So um, not only did she think overpopulation equals poverty, but that there was certain groups of people who deserved to reproduce and thrive, and others who didn't. Basically. She was a racist and classist fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I will also say, I don't know if she was a full-on member of the KKK, or I'm sorry, women of the KKK, because this was a time in which the KKK not only didn't like people of color, but also women. So they wouldn't let women join the KKK. But she did speak at a, K- a women of the KKK rally, um, which doesn't look, does not look good. <clears throat> yeah, Sierra just gagged on her finger. So, um, anyways... Uh, so she had the mindset uh, that the lower the population like of people of color, especially the poor, would um, be achievable through sterilization. And she also shared this mindset with a man named Clarence Thomas. Now, Margaret and Clarence Thomas had previously worked on a project together called the Negro Project. And it was basically a project that they did in the United States that would create clinics and things like that, again, it was that same thing of trying to quote-unquote help the black community, right? Well, they announced all of this to the black community. The black community was really excited because when they announced it, it very much sounded like they were going to be a part of it all, that they were going to hire black physicians and black-owned businesses and things like that and really actually help the black community, when in reality it was all about money, control, and power as it always is, unfortunately. And um, instead of hiring black physicians, they hired white physicians. All of the clinics they opened were white-owned. And they didn't even put anybody in power within the project who was a person of color or who was black. And so then the black community was like, well, fuck this shit. And thankfully, (laughs) because what they say actually matters, (laughs) aside from what these people fucking believed, um, the project dissolved and just fell apart because black people just wouldn't be involved in it. So, um, Margaret came to Clarence, uh, Clarence Gamble with this idea of a day-to-day birth control pill where you wouldn't have to, you know, give consent to your partner to use this birth control. Like, they don't have to know. It doesn't affect them whatsoever. It's purely about women controlling their own bodies. And so she came to Clarence with this because he was a millionaire. And he had various clinics set up around the world. And they were mostly women and child clinics. And he would offer things like sterilization and things like that. And he, in fact, did have several clinics already in Puerto Rico. 
So she approached him, essentially for funding, and he had very similar beliefs in her as far as eugenics go. And eugenics is that whole thing of trying to breed out quote-unquote unfit traits and characteristics. So basically, breed out people of color, and he especially had kind of like an Aryan belief of the perfect human race is Aryan with white skin, blue eyes, blonde hair. Does it sound familiar? <clears throat> Sounds a little uh, Nazi-ish to me. So, anyways, they shared very similar beliefs about this, along with the whole overpopulation equals poverty. And so next, what they needed to create this pill is somebody with the brains to actually create it. So enter Gregory Pincus. Do you want to tell us a little bit about him and some of the other doctors that participated? Yes. Gregory Goodwin Pincus, who is a scientist with a genius IQ but a dubious reputation. He was 47 and had been rejected as a radical by Harvard, humiliated in the press, and was left with no choice but to conduct his experiments in a converted garage. So... This huge genius who was kind of a loser. Like, everyone was like, this guy's crazy. No way. Um, He was a biologist and perhaps the world's leading expert in mammalian reproduction, which uh, was just vaginas and penises, basically. Like, he knew everything about... Yeah, mammals and how they reproduce. So, in the 30s, Sanger tells Pincus... She's like, look, we need contraception. Most likely a pill that women can take every morning that's inexpensive and able to take with or without consent of a man partner. And made it easier for spontaneous sex. So, Sanger was a freak in the sheets. She was like, look, I might be 71 years old, but I'm trying to fuck. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't think she was... (laughs) <laughs> At 71 years old, I don't think you need birth control anymore. <laughs> so, Gregory's like, oh, a pill that women don't have to get pregnant. Maybe I'll be able to have sex with a woman because they don't want to have my child. But then they, we can still just have sex. So, he was like, heck yeah. I'm here for it. This is, Let me. This is my ticket to. This is my f- ticket to Vagina Town. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> um, so, also, they wanted this uh, contraception to have no repercussions in fertility if women wanted to have birth later in life. Which is Which very is, important uh, and also something to note for later. Yes. Um, and mind you that Pincus was not the first scientist that... Sanger had went to. He was basically her last hope. She had went to all these other scientists and spoke of this contraception that she wanted uh, to create. And there were so many laws against and government officials against this Mm -hmm. that the scientists were like, this is no use. Like, what's the point of this if we're not going to be able to actually, like, use it? 
right, there's too many red flags, it's too much work, I'm good. Right. And all of these other scientists were, like, way more legit than Gregory Pincus was. Yeah, and he was so, working in a garage, like, yeah, he was trying to get his hands on anything. Right, versus these other scientists that she had approached already had their shit together and other things going on, so they were just like, you know what, this is gonna be too much work, so I'm good. I yes. pass. So with the help of a man named M.C. Chang, the two men had created the pill in the late summer of 1955. Gregory Pincus visited Puerto Rico and discovered it would be the best place to continue their experimental trials of the pills. Now, Gregory Pincus was this loser and <laughs> who's doing experiments out of his garage or probably his like parents' garage or something. <laughs> and they needed money to keep on these trials. Mm-hmm. So they needed someone, a pretty boy. This is John Rock, a physician who was known for, he was like a well-known gynecologist and obstetrician and was very, very beautiful, like very stunning and just well-spoken. And so he was sort of the front man for these trials. Right, like didn't actually do a whole lot. When it came to the trials, he was really just like the face of it. Yes. And he had the, the background to like be legit about it. Yeah, yeah. Not just, like, a model hired. So Pincus knew that if he could demonstrate that the poor, uneducated women of Puerto Rico could successfully use oral contraceptives, he could quiet critics' concerns that oral contraceptives would be too, quote-unquote, complicated for women in developing nations in America inner cities to use. Which, by the way, this is just taking a pill once a day. Around the same time of day. That's all it is. Every day. That's, that's And they were like, uh, women are pretty stupid. Are you sure they can do that? And they were like, well, you know what? The women of Puerto Rico are like the stupidest of the stupidest. So if they can figure it out, then, then anyone can. Absolutely. And a few more reasons as to why they chose Puerto Rico for the trials is because it was one of the most densely populated areas at the time. I mean, like you said earlier, the average woman at the time had if they were at the age of 50, had seven kids. You know what I mean? So it was very densely populated, unfortunately, also poor. And um, also, like we've said, which Gregory Pincus also had these same eugenics beliefs, there's probably more than just overpopulation equals poverty as their motive here, you know? Oh, for sure. When we're looking at this, what they're really trying to do is keep these women from creating more children because they want less of these kind of people on the earth. Right, because they're not quote-unquote fit to their liking. Which, fuck that word. Fuck that word, man. So dumb. So, um... They chose it for that reason. Also, one of their main funding partners, Clarence Gamble, uh, he, like I had said previously, already owned several clinics in Puerto Rico. And so it was really easy to go ahead and not just distribute, like have a place to distribute the, the pills, but already have clientele to approach for these trials. Now, when they were approached for these trials, they were not told that these were trials. No. They were not given the option of knowing that they were in an experiment. They were simply told, hey, here's this magical pill that'll keep you from getting pregnant. Yes. Well, and, and the the base for the first trial was 
a clinic at Rio Piedras, um, and it was this brand new housing that had sunny balconies and fresh running water, and it was basically being told that this is a vacation, you know what I mean? Like, all you have to do is take this pill every day, right? and you and your husband can come and stay, and you guys get to have as much sex, and like all these great things, mm-hmm. no kind of side effects, no saying that this hasn't been FDA approved or just isn't, no one knows what this pill is going to do to a woman. No, no. one knows. And they were not given the advantage of knowing that they were signing up for a trial. Yeah. You know, that yeah. this was an experimental drug. And they were told instead that this was a miracle drug that it was a solution to sterilization, which is the pretty much the main thing that was being preached at that point in time in Puerto Rico, and that it wasn't permanent, and that you would live in this beautiful place, and you would have free health care, and it just seemed like a dream. And women were, people were going through so much at that point in Puerto Rico. I mean, really, even now today, people are going through a lot, which, that's for another day. Yeah. But, um... How could you not say yes? I mean, that sounds like a dream. Which, like, granted now, like, I feel like as a society we know better and we know, like, some things sound too good to be true and you should say no. But, like, also, if you are living in poverty and you're presented this beautiful place to stay, free health care, and child-free sex, like, how can you say no? Um, Also... The project started in April of 1956, and Gregory first got the idea in 1955. It only took a year, Mm -hmm. almost less than, because he went in the summertime, and this started in the spring. So less than a year for this to start. Mm -hmm. And mind you, like, it takes a while for human trials to start, because there's so many procedures that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that there were so many volunteers... Quote unquote. quote unquote for this trial that they had booked the first base and continue uh, and continued to go to other clinics mm-hmm. during this trial so instead of just being like oh we have you know 50 test, test subjects tri- right thank you and this is all we need to know they're just like oh we have more test subjects not even seeing them as human beings Right. Well, but even if we're looking at, like, a regular experiment, you start out with a certain group of people, and that's, you start out with that, see what happens, and then go from there. No. Their mindset was, let's just get as many women in to do do this drug and just see what happens. And then what happened is, you know, the birth control pill today, many women know, you still experience side effects. I mean, depression, bloating, nausea, throwing up, um, stomach indigestion, uh, headaches, dizziness, blood clotting. I mean, there are so many side effects even to this day. Now, when they first created this pill, it was with an extremely high amount of hormones, way more than necessary. And it caused extreme, extreme levels of those symptoms in in around 17% of the women in the first trial and 22% of women in that first trial ended up leaving because of the symptoms they were experiencing and what did the doctors do nothing, nothing. they didn't even write the symptoms down no what they thought 
was that these women were, in fact, too stupid to understand what was going on in their bodies and that all of these symptoms they were just making up or were psychosomatic. Which is absolutely insane. And... It's repulsive. So, Dr. Edris Riceway, who was a faculty member of the Puerto Rico Medical School and medical director of the Puerto Rico Family Planning Association, was in charge of these trials. So, after a year of tests, Dr. Riceway reported good news to Pincus and to Rock, because he was a part of the team. It's so, like, shitty that Gregory had this MC Chang guy, I'm guessing is of uh, some kind of Asian mm-hmm. descent. descent, and helped build this pill, and then was just like, oh, fuck you, I did it all by myself. Yeah. And then was like, all right, but I need Pretty Boy to sell it for me. Right. And then like, had a woman so. in charge of the... Had a woman in charge, this Dr. Edris Rice Bray was a woman, and after a year of the test, she told the scientists that it's 100% effective. Like, no one got pregnant. But she also did inform that 17% of the women complained of nausea, dizziness, headaches, stomach pain, vomiting, blood clots, depression, and even death. There were three women who died during the trial. Which I we, we should point out as well, there's zero documentation from the trials. They did not document anything during these trials, which begs one to ask why did they happen in the first place if you're not going to document and adjust the pill because that's how experiments work but anyways like I don't know if you guys ever took uh science classes in like k through 12 but like typically if you had an experiment you first like wrote down your hypothesis and then you wrote down the steps of everything and you had a control group and you know none of that happened here none none of that happened and the only reason we know anything about these trials is because the women who participated spoke up about what happened. There's zero documentation, which is why we don't know anything about what happened to the women who died, because there was zero documentation, and they're no longer alive to talk about what happened to them. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that Dr. Rice Ray told Pincus that a 10 milligram dose of the pill caused too many side reactions to be generally acceptable, but him and Rock quickly dismissed any accusations or conclusions that she said like they're just like no these women are dumb and any type of complaints that they have like they don't know what they're talking about they're too dumb to know what they're feeling right which is like uh okay sir then why did you choose test subjects if you're not going to listen to what they have to say another big old red flag. Oh, also, can I, can I tell you? Uh, they also said, Rock and Pincus, that their patients in Boston, the rats and the rabbits <laughs> that were tested prior to Puerto Rico. Wait, 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 let me guess. They weren't speaking up about their symptoms? They had experienced fewer negative reactions, and that's why they believed that the complaints coming from the women were just psychosomatic. Right, right, right. Because, because rats like, and, and rabbits are humans. They're just, they're humans, essentially. Things are going to act exactly the same. Like, um... Also, sir, like, you went to Harvard? Question mark? Question mark? Can we check those credentials? <laughs> they also said that the feeling of cramping 
or bloating and nausea were minor compared to the benefits of contraceptive. They were like, but, BB, um, we gave you child-free sex without sterilization. You should be thanking us. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. I'm just like... <laughs> I have no Tell words. Tell me you're a white man without telling me you're a white man. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> Also, uh, confident in the safety of the pill, Brock and Pinkus took no action to assess any of the root causes of the side effects. Like, they were just like, like, you're, you get these, when you do sub-trials like this, you find out what the side effects are and then go back and see if you can enhance the pill to not have those side effects. Mm-hmm. You alter it so it's it's better and safer to be consumed, yes. especially something you're taking daily. N- nothing had changed. Mm-mm. No. And uh, it's just so wild because it's like, do you understand what an experiment is? Like, you came into this and you were like, the pill's perfect, but we're just going to give it to all these women anyways. <laughs> It's perfect. We're geniuses. You guys should be lining up to have sex with us by now. Right. Oh, wait. You need me to change it? No. No, no, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're incorrect. You're a woman. You don't know what you're talking about. You know nothing. So this Enovid, which was what the pill was called, was approved in the States in 1957 and was an instant hit. Now, it wasn't approved first as a contraceptive. It was just sort of as sort of like condoms or something. They didn't really see it as health of a drug. You know what I mean? It was just right, like, right, right. Oh yeah, here, here's this fun thing that you can take and have spontaneous sex. Mm-hmm. And American women were willing to do almost anything to get their hands on the pill. They also didn't mind the side effects of what these Puerto Rican women have had experienced, but at a higher dosage. Right, because by the time it was on the market, it the wasn't. dosage was lowered. Yes. They did actually, like, finally... Yeah. You know, because, again, it's, uh, we'll sacrifice brown bodies for white medicine. Right, right. Um, but they were, they were super excited that they were able to be sexually active on their own term. Later, Pinkus's team was accused of deceit, colonialism and the exploitation of poor women of color. And Enovid was approved as a contraceptive in 1916, ushering in a new wave of women of women's sexual awakening and health. While many of the pill side effects are still not entirely understood, scientists are just now beginning to take depression in women who take the pill seriously. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. My last words for the women who were on the trials who were told they were taking a drug that prevented pregnancy, not that it was a clinical trial, that the pill was experimental, or that there was a chance of potentially dangerous side effects, Pinkus and Rock believed they were following the appropriate ethical standards. They believed they did nothing wrong to these women or anything wrong in this trial. Which is just so wild, because, like, it makes you wonder, too, if they had chosen a group of white women, if they would have been more courteous and, like, acknowledge human rights. Yes. Because I hate to use the word courteous, because courteous implies, like, things beyond rights, just, like, 
blessings and privileges and things like that. Like, no. Like, this was basic human rights, letting someone know that they're taking an experimental drug and that you're experimenting on them. In the 1950s, research involving human subjects was much less regulated than it is today, but informed consent standards were minimal, and only a basic toxicology tests were required for human trials, which were not given to any of the women in Puerto Rico. Right. There Again, zero documentation. Not a single person. Actually, when I say that, because I, I did say previously, like, they signed up for this. They didn't actually physically sign up for this. It was more of just like, hey, do you want to do this? And they said, yeah. You know, it was mm-hmm. all of verbal agreement. And even then, they weren't given all of the knowledge of, hey, this is what you may be going through. This is what's happening this is this drug you're taking is experimental and a lot of these women not only like three women did die a lot of women were permanently affected by this birth control like they were create made infertile by it they still experience symptoms of it you know and it's just so sad because puerto rico has such a deep and rich history of exploitation and of being used as guinea pigs. And sadly, this is not, like, all of this happened in, like, the 1950s and 60s, but it didn't start there and it didn't stop there. And it's just so, so, so fucked. And it hurts me so much to see my people, like, in 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 distress and, and pain and going through suffering that they shouldn't be going through. And it's just so fucked because the second that the U.S. won it over, it just, it's colonization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why it's important that we talked about this today because knowledge is power. And in order for us to evolve further into the future, we have to understand our past mm-hmm. and make sure that we're not making the same mistakes and that we've learned what our ancestors have done Um what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. Mostly what not to do. Mostly what not to, yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so finding more compassion for not just people of one color, but for everyone, because Mm -hmm. everyone has basic human rights. Mm -hmm. And also, just for, like, our U.S. listeners, I do want to say that the U.S. has always treated Puerto Rico... Either A, either people don't know that Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, or B, they just choose to ignore everything that's going on over there. And even right now, there's something called Act 22, which was put in place within the last two years. And basically, it allows these rich people to come in and buy up buildings and kick out tenants or demand double rent. Like, for example, my oldest sister, she... Some some rich person bought the building that she's living in, and she was paying. I think she said like seven hundred bucks a month. They said, "Yeah, you either got to get out or start paying me fourteen hundred. That's insane. Literally doubled her rent. There's this one woman um, who she's like, oh, she was a reporter for like news and stuff like that, but she decided to quit, and now she's like a reporter on Instagram and TikTok and stuff. And her name is, I think it's Bianca Grelau. And she, um, she, like, covers all of this, like, all the stuff that's going on in Puerto Rico, because she's Puerto Rican. And she interviewed this one woman who had already retired, 
and had planned on spending the rest of her life in her apartment, which had been her home for the last, like, 30 years or something like that. But, again, some rich person came through, bought her her um, building, and they're going to turn it into a resort, so she has to leave, and she has nowhere to go. And that shit is so fucked. There was, I also saw this TikToker who, um, <laughs> it was this, this white woman who, you know, does those, like, life hack TikToks or mm-hmm. whatever, and, like, the... This is how rich pe- these. This is what rich people don't want you to know, mm-hmm. right? So, she did one of those. This is what rich people don't want you to know about Puerto Rico TikToks, and she was just talking about how, yeah, if you come here and buy property and you don't live and you're not from here, you get you know, you can like evade certain taxes and like, you know, like you get tax breaks on shit and. You know, you should come and, and live here. This is why a bunch of people, rich people are living here. And it's like, you don't realize the impact you're making on the community by mm-hmm. doing that shit. Mm-hmm. You are taking away the land of people who are from there, who deserve that land. But just because, what, they don't have this made-up-ass paper money, they don't get to live there. Instead, y'all get to kick them off. Because these fucking rich white people needed to have their birth control Mm -hmm. they were like let's go ahead and test it on the puerto rican women because they're so dumb if they can figure it out then anyone can yeah you know and they're not gonna know the wiser we don't need to tell them anything instead we're just gonna fuck up their lives and leave and it was so fucked because back then i mean even now it's very catholic rich the the culture and the people And back then, it was even more so. And, you know, birth control was a sin. And abortion was a sin. Having sex premaritally was a sin. Getting um, your tubes tied was a sin. So, like, you didn't talk about this with anybody. So all of these women were going through such shit, and they did not talk about it with anyone. They didn't know where to go or who to turn to when it came to this stuff. So they would just drop out and pretend like it never happened. And... It wasn't until, I think, like the 80s, somebody did a documentary called um, La Operación, which is the operation, but in Spanish. And um, that's when we really got a lot of these testimonies about what happened during these trials because somebody actively went and sought out these stories. And if it wasn't for that person, then we really wouldn't know all that we know today about these trials, which is so sad as well it's just like people are just so willing to forget what puerto rico has gone through and is going through and then we you know it's it's it just messes me up and like i I was gonna get into politics but i definitely won't (laughs) but it's just um it's just really rough to see so little people who care that can make a difference you know Mm -hmm. like Puerto Rico is under the power of the U.S., but Americans don't give a shit about Puerto Rico except as a vacation spot. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we need to bring more light and more knowledge to these people so then we can, you know, make a difference and... Empower them and give them the rights that they deserve. Yes. This has been a great podcast. I hope you guys like it. Um, Really thinking about doing a more kind of deep dives into things like this and I do want to say um I did most of my research well all of my research Sierra did like actually going and doing articles and stuff and then I just listened to Bailey Sarian's 
dark history podcast, which is kind of like what we want to get into is more like dark history, conspiracies, things like that, just to open up your mind to the reality of things. Because especially here in the U.S., we are not in school, we are not taught accurate history whatsoever so whitewashed yes and there's so many things that are left out which granted also like there's only so much that you can learn in school and you you know it is important to learn more and reach out and do your own research and I feel like this dark history podcast that Bailey Sarian does is very helpful in that I love listening to that I love there's another podcast I love listening to called whistleblowers and it's obviously about whistleblowers who do you know what whistleblowers means? No. So a whistleblower is a person who comes to the press and the public and lets them know, like, this is fucked up and this is what happened. And basically things that the public doesn't know about their inner workings of a business or a government or something like that. That is bullshit, essentially. Well, there you go, whistleblowers. You got some free publicity. <laughs> You're but welcome. It's a, yeah, they're way bigger than us, though. So, <laughs> but okay. they are a really good podcast, and I, I just love educating myself on things like that. And yes. I, that's something that we also really want to do here because your third eye isn't just about spiritual awareness, it's about awareness within everything, yes. you know, and an awareness of balance as well because you can't. You can't help every cause. You can't learn everything and burden yourself with all of the tragedy of this world, previous and current. Um, but it is important to educate yourself because that is how we learn how to do better in the future is by learning from our past mistakes. Yep. Um, next week's is going to be about gratitude. Yes. And just kind of origin and what we can do in our daily lives to have more gratitude toward towards our physical livelihoods and our spiritual livelihoods. Mm-hmm. Also going to go into ego deaths after that. Yes. <laughs> I'm very nervous. <laughs> and then going to deep dive into dreams, which I'm really excited about because I dream all the time and I... You dream? I dream? No way. <laughs> Wait, you go to sleep and, and then you dream? Not a lot of people remember their dreams. I'm lucky, so you can kiss my ass. I'm lucky to be able to remember my dreams. You're right. I don't remember my dreams. And to understand what dreams actually are. Because yeah. we honestly still don't know what they actually are. So get to like deep dive into kind of more spiritualness mm-hmm. of it. Um, if you guys don't, you should follow us on Instagram at Third Eye Seers Podcast, or shoot us an email, um, Third Eye Seers Podcast at gmail.com. Give us some comments, feedback, and tell us what kind of things that you guys want to listen to. Definitely yes. love to hear what you have to say. Yes, we really do. Hope so. you like this podcast and learn some new things Mm -hmm. and you're keeping that third eye open hell yeah see you next monday